Christ is risen from the dead, trampling over death by death. Come away, come away, come and rise up from the grave. Christ is risen from the dead, we are one with Him again. Come away, come away, come and rise up from the grave. Amen. Amen. Aren't you glad He did this morning? Scripture says death doesn't have a sting grave. There's no victory in it because Christ defeated death with death. That's a good, that's good news this morning. That death killed him and he came back. Amen. Scripture says this. This is so cool. It says the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead lives in us. That's good news. Amen. We're going to sing it like this.
we could not pay now we glorify your name hope and freedom for the ones who call upon the lord who call upon the lord and who is like the lord of all strong enough to save lift us from the grave real simple. We will glorify your name and we will glorify your name forever. We will glorify your name forever. We will glorify your name forever. Jesus be lifted Father God, we just come in right now, just uh, humbled in your presence, God. Uh, we thank you for everything that you've done for us, God. Uh, we owed a debt that we could never pay, Father, and you paid a debt that you never owed, and we thank you for that. Um, we just come to you right now, God, just offering up our tithes and our offerings, God, to you, dear Lord, and pray that your will be done with them, Father. We love you and we praise you, and in Christ's name I pray all these things. Amen.
left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. together one more time you guys don't need us just sing that out with all you got Thanks, guys. Good morning. This is Sanctity of Life Sunday on our convention calendar. Baptist churches all across not only our nation but around the world are emphasizing the importance of life, the sacredness of life that God has instilled upon every human being. From the moment of conception, God stamped his image on us and gave us uh, the breath of life. So I want to talk about life this morning, and I'm cognizant of the fact that when I preach on the sanctity of life from the outset, that I realize there are women in our congregation and probably watching by television who've had abortions, and men who have agreed to it, and grandparents who have demanded it. And so I realize that this can be a painful message, but it does not have to be a hopeless one. There is great physical and emotional suffering because of abortion, but there is hope. No one is cut off from Christ or the fellowship of his people because of past sin, any past sin. 
What cuts a person off from Christ and the fellowship of his people is the endorsement of past sin. But for the repentant, there is always forgiveness and hope and cleansing and restoration. The perfect example of that is a woman named Norma McCorvey. You might not know who Norma McCorvey is, but she is the the Jane Roe in the Roe versus Wade landmark Supreme Court case that came down in January 22nd, 1973. Norma McCorvey found herself pregnant and on the streets of Texas in 1969. Uh, There was a lawyer who convinced her to say that she was raped when she wasn't really. The case went to the Supreme Court in 1972. And in 1973, as I mentioned, January 22nd, the Supreme Court handed down the decision that overturned the laws in every state, including Texas, banning abortion. Well, now the rest of the story. Norma McCorvey, shortly after that, began working in an abortion clinic in in Texas, in Dallas, and she realized what it was doing. She realized the abortion industry was driven only by money and and continual expansion and, and the bottom line and money and and shortly after that an operation rescue center was opened up closely beside the abortion clinic where Norman McCorvey was working and folks from operation rescue began talking to her and witnessing to her and she saw the difference in their lives and she saw the difference that Jesus could make and because of their Christian witness and their love for her knowing who she was and what her past was Norma McCorvey was gloriously saved And today, Norma McCorvey works in a pro-life movement trying to undo the laws which were constructed uh, in which she was a pawn, really. And so I say that to you today, that if God can redeem and use Norma McCorvey, Jane Roe, and Roe versus Wade, then he can save and redeem anyone. There's always hope. There's always uh, something to look forward to. There's always a future. And when you take that and and combine it right here at home with folks in our own congregation who have adopted beautiful babies, and 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 there's not much time that goes by that I don't have young families come up to me and say, Brother Wayne, if you ever hear of of someone who needs to to put a child up for adoption, please remember us, please consider us. We want children so desperately. So when you combine that, you realize that there are always loving pro-life options out there. And that's the way it should be. And the reason why is because what the Bible says. Let's look at what the Bible says, and I have two passages of Scripture. Genesis 1, 26 and 27, and Psalm 8, 3 through 8. Genesis 1, 26 and 27 is, is of course, where God creates us. Then God said, Let us make man in our image... After our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. In Psalm 8, 3 through 8, the psalmist, you can imagine, looking up into the heavens, Uh, contemplating the grandeur and the majesty of God who created all this and yet still knows our names, knows the number of hairs on our head. He says, When I look at the heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast established, what is man that thou art mindful of him and the son of man that thou dost care for him? 
Thou hast made him a little less than God. Some translations say a little less than the angels. Dost crown him with glory and honor. Thou hast given him dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put, him, hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. God has put man in dominion over every other creature, every other created thing. God has put man just a little lower than himself. Let's bow together. Father, as we come together on this Sanctity of Life Sunday, we acknowledge that something, any of us who have looked at a baby or held a baby, know that something that beautiful, that wonderful, that perfect, only you can create. And what only you can create, who is anyone to decreate? Who is anyone to undo what only you can do? So God, help us leave life and death in your hands because only you are wise enough and loving enough to know when is the right time for both. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. In Genesis 1, 26 and 27, the scripture says that man is God's crowning creation. Up until this time, God has created the the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and everything that walks upon the earth and everything that flies in there, everything God has created. And God, after five days, stepped back and said, that's good. And then on the sixth day, God created man. And he didn't step back and say, that's good. He stepped back and said, that is very good. Very good, because man is God's crowning creation. Man is different. Man is distinct from everything else, unique from everything else that God created. Why? Because it says God placed his image on man. He placed his image on him. I love um, going to the hospital right after a, a newborn baby in our church and, and the parents are cooing and ooing and eyeing and they're saying, look, he, he, has, he has his eyes or he has her mouth, or he has his long toes, or, you know, his, his color hair, and, and, and parents just, they love this child from the moment they know that he is within her until the child is born, and every day that love grows deeper and deeper because they see themselves in this child in so many ways, and I think God does that with us too. He looks at us, and he sees his image in us that he placed there and he beams with pride because he sees himself in us. That's what makes us different. That's what makes humans unique from everything else and why human life is so precious, so precious to God. Well, what is man, the psalmist asks in Psalm 8, verse 3. And, and as I said, I want you to pick your picture this writer going out under the heavens and asking this question, what, what is man that thou hast made him? Thou hast made him 
a little less than the angels, thou hast crowned him with glory and honor. The key word there is thou. Thou hast made us. That's why God deems us so highly, because he made us. I was thinking about it this week. Let me give you this illustration. You've got two violins here. You, you guys who play instruments, you know about instruments. Let's say you've got two violins. One violin is made by the Acme Violin Company. The other violin is made by Stradivarius. You see where I'm going? The Acme Violin cost $290. The Stradivarius cost $2.9 million. What's the difference between them? Similar components, similar strings, similar bow. What's the difference between them? It's the person who made it, the creator. That's why the Stradivarius is worth so much more. It's because of who put it together. It's the same way with us. Our value, our worth, lies in our creator. If you take our components apart, I think I read somewhere in chemistry that, you know, we're mostly salt water. <laughs> and, and the sum total of our parts is, about, is worth about 92 cents. But when God puts us together, we are of inestimable value because of who he is, because of the one who created us. Now, some people will argue, and I've heard this argument, that you aren't really a life until you're born, until you begin to breathe on your own, until you're viable, all these kinds of things. Well, if you have to, if you have to breathe on your own to be a viable human, let's... Let's dare not tell the parents who were over in the NICU unit at the hospital right now whose babies are on ventilators. Let's dare not tell the senior adult, the family of the senior adult who's on a ventilator right now because they aren't breathing on their own that somehow, some way, they're less than human. Of course not. That's absurd. We are human when, I believe, from the moment of conception. But let me, let me tell you this argument that I thought about recently at a rotary program that the medical community would have to concede. And this is kind of technical, so you're going to have to follow along with me. But there was a guy in Rotary a couple months ago from LifeLink. And what LifeLink is, all over the nation, but they, they link together folks who have been pronounced dead and have organs and tissues to donate. They, they link those up with people on a waiting list awaiting an organ or tissue donation. And so someone in the audience asked the presenter the question, what is the criteria for death? When does the medical community determine that death has occurred? And the presenter said, when brain activity ceases. By an EKG, they can determine that brain activity has ceased, and therefore, by medical definition, death has occurred. So I'm sitting there thinking, okay, if, if the absence of brain activity indicates death, does that not mean that the presence of brain activity indicates life? I asked that question. Does that mean the presence of brain activity indicates life? He said, I would suppose so. I would, and then I said, okay, then by medical definition, you would have to concede that, that life begins. It has been shown that brain activity begins at eight weeks. Eight weeks, brain activity. You would have to concede by medical community definition and criteria that the presence of life exists. Now, I would 
argue that life begins at conception. But now the medical community would have to concede that life begins at eight weeks if life is determined by the presence of brain activity, according to EKGs. We had a, uh, a fundraising banquet for the Pregnancy Care Center. Incidentally, that's why this tablescape is here. The Pregnancy Care Center here in Tifton is just a couple blocks below us on Central. It's on the corner of 8th and Central. I think the sign out front says, Women's First Choice Medical Center. I want you to know where it is. I want you to know who they are and what they do. And if you, if you know any young woman who, is, who is, is pregnant and is thinking about the possibility of abortion, you take them to visit that clinic because they have an ultrasound there. And when, when the nurse does an ultrasound and the young girl sees the image of God stamped on her baby, 49 lives this past year were saved and birthdays are celebrated because of the Pregnancy Care Center. That's what these 49 bottles here represent. And if you don't have a bottle and you want to take one, you take one from this table and we'll replenish it before the, the 1050 service and the 11 o'clock service. Our children, our Sunday school classes are taking these, these bottles home and putting in donations, offerings, change. They're, they're letting the RAs and GAs participate. And we'll take this offering and give it to the Pregnancy Care Center. It's called Woman's First Choice Now, and it, it goes to helping young ladies make the decision to choose life. Anyway, at a program, we have a, fun, a fundraising banquet every year, and a couple years ago, a woman named Pam Tebow was the speaker. Pam Tebow told the story about being a missionary in the Philippines years ago, and she contracted amoebic dysentery from drinking contaminated water, as you would understand in third world countries like that, water is always a problem. She lapses into a coma. The doctors are giving her high-powered antibiotics. And uh, they find out that she's a couple months pregnant, and they advise her to abort the pregnancy. And she and her husband are, are such strong, committed Christians. They say, no, we're going to carry this child, and we're going to entrust this child to God. So she refused the abortion. About seven months later, a little boy named Tim was born. And I think by all measures, everybody would have to say that Tim Tebow was a, probably a pretty strong, healthy young man, one that the doctors advised to abort. It says here in verse 5 of Psalm 8, Thou hast made him a little less, some translations say, than the angels, some say than God. The Hebrew word there, thou hast made him a little less than Elohim, is the Hebrew word. Elohim, and you know that word, is, is a word we often use for God. So what the psalmist is saying here is that thou hast made him a little lower than Elohim. Here's, it's not God and then a little lower than the angels and then man. It's not God, angels, man. It's, it's God and then man and then angels. God made us just a little lower than himself. He made us a little lower than himself higher than the angels, really, according to this passage, a little lower than Elohim. That is how much God loves you and treasures you. And, and the respect for life that God has placed upon you. I read a, an ironic story uh, this past week in preparation for this. It seems like a man down in Florida was arrested for stealing turtle eggs from the beach. He stole turtle eggs from the beach. Now, I don't know if they were like the gopher tortoise 
at Reed Bingham that, that people in South Georgia are so are proud of. But anyway, he came up with a defense. His defense was that the eggs were not really alive, that they were not yet life. Guess what? He lost his case, and he was fined because the court said that, that those eggs represented the possibility, the potential for life. And I read that, and I'm thinking, why are turtles more important than humans? Why? Why is, why is a man convicted for, for killing a turtle egg, but not for, for destroying a human life? The crowning argument for how much God loves you and me and the value that he deems life is that he sent Jesus to die for us. To me, that's the crowning argument. God demonstrated his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us and he would not send his only begotten son to die for anything or anyone that he did not highly, highly value. Red and yellow, black and white, they are all precious in his sight. All of us are precious in his sight. And C.S. Lewis summed it up. He said, if God sent Jesus to die for us, then there is no such thing as a mere mortal. There is no such thing as a mere mortal. Because Jesus died for you. And he died for me. I believe every human life is sacred, sacred from the moment of conception until that line where God calls us home again at death. From abortion to euthanasia, whatever, if you believe the Bible and you believe what it says about life, then taking life prematurely is morally wrong. It's wrong. Only God is wise enough and loving enough to create life and to take life and every other point along that line in between is up to him. Max Lucado tells a great story about a sweater he keeps hanging in his closet. He says it's, it's too small to wear, it's worn out, it's frayed, it's, it's just about had it. And logically, he should get rid of it, but he won't. It doesn't have a tag. It has no care instructions. It wasn't made in a factory somewhere on an assembly line. What, what makes that sweater so precious to Max Lucado is that it was made by his mother. And every strand... Every stitch, every, every little curve in it was made for him with love. She made it for him when he was younger, and he wore it, and now it's worn out, and he won't get rid of it. It may have lost all of its use, but it has lost none of its value. It's not valuable to Max Lucado because of its function. It's valuable to him because of its maker. The maker of his sweater was his mom. And that's why he treasures it. In the same way, 
the maker of human beings, is God. We may lose, in our age, we may lose some of our use or some of our function. But our worth is not determined on our function. It's determined by our maker. And our maker is God. He created human life and he has deemed it sacred from conception to death. Forty-nine lives saved. Birthdays will be celebrated. In the past 40 years since Roe v. Wade, there's been about 40 million babies who will not have a birthday. May God forgive us as a nation for our moral evil and sin and convict us of the treasure of life. Let's bow together. God, we are here today to confess to you as a nation we have lost our way. And abortion has become part of everyday life. Almost one every 20 seconds as a matter of convenience or expediency. God, help us to recognize that life is so precious to you. It's something only you can create. Only you can put things together and and make them develop. Only you are capable of, of producing something so beautiful and so wonderful and so perfect. Forgive us for the sin of abortion and for standing by silently while it goes on every day. Father, help us to value life as you value life, to see life as you see life, and to cherish every moment of every day that you've given to us, and to trust you, to know when it's time to create and when it's time for death. Only you can do that, and we leave it in your hands. In Jesus' name. Amen. At the 11 o'clock service, we're going to have the parent-child dedication for six beautiful little children. And I tell you, it's, it's so much fun to hold those children and to look at them and to anticipate what God is going to do through their families and, and through that child and the potential that they hold. And we have several couples in our church expecting children, and it's exciting to anticipate their arrival as well.